Thanks, Diane. Thanks, band. Thanks, everyone who's serving. Thank you to Johnny, who's served us in many ways, not least of which is making MYC accessible online. My wife, Morwenna, said it's been great for the kids to see what it's like, because without that, they would have no idea really what this is like. Um, we heard last night on the ministry panel some people who's taken steps for ministry or are thinking about how to serve God, perhaps in full-time ministry, even thinking about a ministry apprenticeship. Some of you might be in a position to graduate soon, work a few years. Maybe if you're thinking about a ministry apprenticeship around 2029-30, we might have one young man who's keen to sign up for mid-year conference that year already. So it's very sweet. He's loved it. We're on a high Literally, we're on a mountain and we're on a high on God's word and fellowship together, dwelling, the word dwelling richly amongst us as we're encouraging each other. What do we do coming down from this high, both on the mountain and in God's word? Well, remember what you've heard. Don't forget, like forgetting what you look like in a mirror, according to James. Keep ever outward turning turning ever outward in love, other person-centred love. And it starts with how you leave the mountain and how you drive together or even by yourself, obeying the rules on the road, driving carefully in the wet. Maybe if you're a passenger and you're tired, you'll practice other person-centred love by helping to keep your driver awake. Love your housemates when you get back. They haven't come off this high. They might be really miserable. How could you love them? How could you love your mum? And what's going to keep you going as you come down off that high? God's good word will keep us going into semester as we've heard and for Jesus' return. It's day five. It's been a big week hearing from God himself in his word on this epic topic. Not just how to do relationships, but we've taken a step back before creation itself and we saw that God is primarily in himself eternal relationship. God the Father with the eternal Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's there that we see that relationship is ultimate reality. In him, the Godhead. And a very quick book plug the singleness book has run out, so thanks, Josh, for an excellent review. I doubt this one will run out, but prove me wrong, brothers and sisters. It's a book by Michael Reeves called Delighting in the Trinity. There's a handful on there, and if you want to dig deeper into the Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Spirit, that ultimate relationship of which the overflow of love we enjoy, get it. Get it. But we've also explored what it means like to be made in his image and remade in the image of Christ for relationship with him and with others and even to rule with Christ. So with all that foundation, today we're going to look at a how-to. If night three was love, today we're going to put more flesh on the bones of what that self-giving love looks like. So let's pray. Let's pray. 
Great God and Father, thank you so much for speaking to us again this day across this morning and now as we've heard your word read and preached. Please give us understanding, despite our tiredness, help us to be able to focus and hear you and indeed have our lives transformed for Jesus' sake in his day. Help me to speak what's true to your word. Amen. Your generation is special. Some of you have heard that a lot. And some of you feel the burden of expectation, but your generation has seen more social change than in a hundred years before. Identity has shifted from looking outward to looking inward, looking outside to looking within, and sexuality and gender are but two examples. And it's had a big impact on relationships. So rapid is the change, you can be cancelled in a swipe. Someone's opinion that was once acceptable can be dug out, exposed, in order to cancel them. Yeah. Is anyone safe in this cancel culture climate? Is there any safe ground on which to stand when you can be cancelled any minute and what is deemed acceptable can just change so fast, like tossing to and fro by waves? Well, from last night, you'll know who wins in all of this. Christ rules. And Christians shall reign with Christ. What do you do with that knowledge? Well, beware, lest that future rule makes you arrogant now. And what could keep us from pride? Well, how do we worship him in humbleness as we've sung? That's what we're looking at today. Point number one, in view of God's mercy. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We should be familiar with this parable now. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You've noticed this week that Luke likes to introduce us to Jesus' audience in the parables. This audience is not a good model for how to do relationships. Ignore God and look down on others. Might describe 95% of Australia. In this parable are two men. They're two very different men with very different postures, very different prayers and very different outcomes. Firstly, two different men. The Pharisee was like a poster boy for someone right with God on the outside, outwardly very religious. But the tax collector is scum, a traitor. He robbed his fellow Jews to pay tax to the Roman Empire and take some off the top for himself. 
Secondly, two very different postures. Notice the Pharisee, verse 11, stands by himself, and we know from his words it's far off, away from others in pride. But the tax collector, verse 13, stands far off, alone in humility. He'd not even lift up his eyes, but beat his breast. Thirdly, they're different prayers. The Pharisee starts off, okay, God. But then he compares himself to others and says all the good things he's done. Those of you who did the prayer elective, you could tell us if it is actually a prayer. But the tax collector asks one thing, mercy. And he says he's a sinner. That's all on his list. You could say they both get what they ask for. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. The tax collector is justified. God justifies the wicked. God justifies the ungodly, Romans 4.15. It's an outrageous statement. God counts wicked people righteous, like Abraham we saw on night one. But the Pharisee is not justified. Very different outcomes. Second part of verse 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble, not before others, in the view of others, first of all, but before God, who sees all. Now, your generation has been told you're special and you can change the world, but some things you can't change. They're outside of your control to change. You can't change someone else's stance towards you in relationships when you've sinned against them. That's true for before other people, and it's true before God. Even if you repent and ask forgiveness, it's theirs to grant forgiveness of your moral debt, what you owe. You can't pardon your own debt. But what you can do is take responsibility and confess your wrongdoing before God and before others. And God will forgive. So is God a pushover? Remember night two, he's not a pushover, but he's rich in mercy. Ephesians 2.4. Romans 9.15, he has mercy on whom he has mercy. And he saved us not because of the righteous things we've done, but according to his own mercy. Titus 3.5. Let's go to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Israel's songbook. Psalm 25, verses 5 and 6. Sorry, verses 6 and 7. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, according to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. There's no place for pride before God, either at the start of the Christian life or the middle 
wherever that is, or the end, whenever that is. B. What about when the wicked and proud do succeed in life, even at the expense of God's own people? Like if you are trusting God and you see the wicked around you prospering, do the wicked win? Psalm 73, we looked at it the other night. Let's go to there, Psalm 73, because we're already in Psalms. Psalm 73, I'll only read a part of it, verses 2 and 3. Psalm 73, verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He envied the proud who boast before God, just like the Pharisee's prayer at the temple. But the songwriter in verse 13 asks, has my obedience then been for nothing? It doesn't make sense to him. This songwriter is saying it's, it was unintelligible. Now, one commentator says that's the problem for him, unintelligibility. We can take unintelligible blessing, like, wow, all this blessing. Okay, sure, yeah, I can take that. We can even take intelligible suffering. That is, if we do wrong and suffer for it, well, that's how God has made the world in his justice. But unintelligible suffering. Why? And friends, there will be suffering in the Christian life. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12. You can write it. 2 Timothy 3.12. The songwriter almost stumbles. He's so honest. He almost gives up. Until what? Verse 16. Psalm 73, verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He goes to the sanctuary. Like those two men go up to the temple to pray in Luke 18. But here he sees things differently, clearly. He sees, verse 17, their end destroyed in a moment, verse 19, by God. And you might note we've heard lots about judgment this week. That's not relational, is it? Night one, the rich man in Hades in torment cries to Father Abraham. Night two, the wicked tenants are destroyed by the vineyard owner, the inheritance given to others. Last night, the nobleman made king returns to judge those wicked citizens and servants. Why all this talk of judgment? This week's supposed to be on relationships. And yes, it is. It's because God cares that he judges. It's because God cares 
that he judges. An unjust judge is a terrible thing. Like that in a parable of Luke 18. You can write that down and look at later. Luke 18, where the unjust judge neither fears God nor respects men. What a horrible prospect. But it's because God cares that he judges. And in his kindness of his self-revelation of himself, he's revealed and warned us of that judgment like we heard from the king last night. He is coming. And seeing the end puts everything into sharp focus because the king is returning. See, with that in view, with that end in view of the king returning, what is the way forward? Well, let's turn to Romans 11. We've been in Romans a little bit, remember this week? So come to Romans in the New Testament, Romans chapter 11. Yeah, that's right. Flick, 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 flick. Whoa, there's some violent, rigorous flicking going on. Are we selling Bibles on the bookstall? Might need to buy a new one. So rigorous. Do open up there. Make sure the Bible's open. Don't take it from my word as some lofty scholar that I'm not, but test everything according to the Bible. Romans 11, flick, flick, verse 32, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's mercy for both Jew upon whom there's been a partial hardening, Jew and Gentile. Chapter 12, verse 1, by the mercies of God, ESV, or NIV, in view of God's mercies. Offer yourselves in worship to God in view of God's mercy. Okay, I might live to regret this one, but it's like a rear view mirror. Uni Bible memes, I can thank for this illustration. I hope none of us have a heart attack with excitement that I'm citing Uni Bible memes. Uni Bible Group has many ministries. <laughs> Uni Bible memes is not one of them. <laughs> I don't follow the page, but I like a lot of the posts. I'll tell you in-house. I don't publicly like the page, but yeah. It's good fun, isn't it? 
They do a good job. And they did a good job of letting us know to register for this conference early, at the cheapest early bird price. Like in this... It's very clever, actually. I didn't realise until I looked at it properly. Got beyond the lols. It's very clever. Well done, admins. Because as that closing date drew near, it's closer than it appears in the mirror. Wow. Still blows my mind. <laughs> Romans 12, NIV helps us here. What's in the view? God's mercy. And yes, it's closer than it appears in the cross of Jesus Christ, whereby God's spirit, if you trust Jesus, you are united with him in his death and his resurrection, united with Jesus Christ. Romans 6, Ephesians 2. You can write it, Romans 6, Ephesians 2. What's this mean for the Christian life? Offer yourselves in worship. Worship, as blessed as we are with singing, is not just singing and praise only or the gathering. It's everything. But if I say it's everything, some might say, well, if it's everything, it's nothing. So let's be more specific. It requires discerning the will of God. Romans 12 verse 2, knowing what he wants of us. So how do we do that? It's by listening to his word, where we began this conference on night one, someone revealing themselves to us as God has done in his word written. So we must continue to listen to God. Psalm 73. We're back in Psalm 73. Flick, 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 flick. Psalm 73 and verse 23. Note this for closeness. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me, how? With your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. That's the way forward, listening to God in his counsel. Is that really enough? Isn't there more? Is it, is it enough? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's go to the New Testament. Flick, flick, flick. 2 Timothy, towards the end of the New Testament, after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, it's the T letters, and they're in alphabetical order, is how I remember it. Get there. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, that was his dear Christian mother and grandmother, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All scripture, God's word written, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. That is the way forward and it is enough. It's everything we need. 
listening to God in his good word. Knowing God isn't just an intellectual exercise, although it is that, and mustn't stop there. It's a transforming, Romans 12, transforming by the renewing of your mind to offer your body in worship. So is that how you see your personal Bible reading from the elective here or even Karina's interview from France last night? Personal Bible reading, she's doing it. Or in our faculty Bible study groups, our faculty groups as we read God's word, all in view of God's mercy, transforming by the renewing of our minds for worship. Don't ever lose sight of God's mercy. Point two, be merciful. And for this, we're going to go to our second parable for today. Luke 10, 25. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and, with all, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. What a learned scholar audience he has, a Jewish teacher of the law, verse 25. But 29 is a problem. He seeks to justify himself, like the Pharisee, Luke 18. So Jesus tells the parable. And have you noticed, often in the parables, Jesus likes to tell the story in groups of three, I have a friend who thinks it's Trinitarian. I'm not so sure. You could discuss that on your car ride home. <laughs> but it's a bit like some might tell a joke. And I don't want to delve off into too much inappropriateness. Three men walk into a bar. We'll just park that there. Here it is. Three men walk past a beaten man. A priest, a Levite and a Samaritan. The priest, a respectable religious man, an essential one, 
a go-between for sinners and God. A Levite is similar, a member of the tribe from which the Jewish priests come. Very good, very good. And a Samaritan, scum, half-blooded of both Jew and Gentile who didn't worship God at the temple. Yet this one does what neither of the Jewish men who supposedly know God do. A scum transformed by God's mercy will show mercy. And there's many other examples all through the Bible, just to Zacchaeus, that greedy little rich man we met last night, and the prostitute Rahab in Joshua 2, or James chapter 2 in the New Testament, who's even in Jesus' family line, Matthew 1. So we could change our joke. It's no joke. Three scum are showered by God's mercy. A tax collector, Luke 18. A Samaritan, Luke 16. A prostitute, Joshua 2, James 2. But I refer to her from James 2 in the New Testament because James says the Christian must show mercy. Let's go there, James chapter 2, verse 13. Flick, 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 flick. Flick, flick, flick. Forwards, James chapter 2, verse 13. And then verses 24 to 26. James 2, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? That is, God's people, the messengers. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. As crucial as it is to listen to God, night one, and to trust God, night two, Listening and trust is not enough in James if you aren't merciful as a result. God's word transforming you by his spirit. Life-changing, like I said. James goes so far as to say that if you don't show mercy, that undeserved kindness to another, to a Christian brother or sister in need, your faith is dead and cannot save you. Whoa. Yes, saved by grace through faith alone, but saving faith is never alone, said John Calvin, the reformer. And I think Martin Luther, some debate. So at this point, I want to ask you, dear friends, are you merciful to one another? Do you show mercy to others, kindness, concern to others in need? Is your instinct to show mercy or to turn inward, turn away, withdraw, pull back from others? And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm prone to this. 
left unchecked, no mercy, is dead faith. B. Luke 6, verse 36. Luke 6, verse 36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. In view of God's mercy, be merciful. The solution to our pride is beholding our merciful God and Father. In our rearview mirror, in view of God's mercy. Let me give you mercy Let's have a stretch break for 30 to 60 to 75 seconds. Let's sit back down. Point number three. Remember, we're putting flesh on the bones of self-giving love in showing mercy and now in showing forgiveness. Forgiveness is what we do as the family of God. Let's go to Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Luke 17. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. We're going to ride through this with a handful of points, a couple of handfuls of points to note on forgiveness. Point number one, you will be sinned against in the family of God. We're still in the flesh and you will sin against others. You're still in the flesh. You're saved from sin, but we're still in the flesh. Number two, you'll need to forgive and you'll need to be forgiven by others in the family of God. This might be the primary school moment. Is this what they still do in primary school? This was my age on the board and you write, write, write and then you move on. Okay, number three, the sin here is personal in verse four against you if he sins against you number four the sin is isolating like covid but the christian life isn't done alone unlike covid we don't retreat into ourselves that means you can't cancel a brother or sister as members of god's family there's discipline and places for that. Yes, we'll come to. Number five, the rebuke is necessary as family. As God's family, we have a commitment to one another and righteousness amongst us. Therefore, it's right in verse three that one rebukes, the, the, that the one who sins is rebuked. It's not meddling, but with the other's best interests in mind. It's actually other person-centred love, rebuke, done in love for the other. 
Number six. Rebuke may also keep ourselves from sin. But Galatians 6 verse 1, beware of smugness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Galatians 6 1. Keep watch on yourself. Number seven, a watchdog approach. You know, watchdog looking out for it. Oh, there it is, there, there. Or even power play move. We avoid that watchdog approach to sin by dealing with known actions. Okay? Known actions. Matthew 18, verse 16 says, Every charge established by two or three witnesses. And I know of, as an aside, I know of cases where someone might say, I forgive you to get in first as a power move when they don't see the plank of wood in their own eye. Known actions. Number eight. Christians are to be quick to forgive when repentance is present. Quick to forgive in Luke 17. Number nine, repentance requires genuine change. Demonstrable, or is it demonstrable? Let's say demonstrable, change. Number 10, I think it's the last one, yep. Forgiveness doesn't equal forgetting, and nor is it always a return to how things were before. For example, if you smash my car and you repent and I forgive, I may choose not to loan you my car next time. That decision of mine doesn't disprove my forgiveness, but it can be done in love other per for your good. Now, the same could be applied in other settings. But what about in the case of God's forgiveness of us? Well, it, instead of saying God forgets our sin, I'm better fitting, uh, uh, more helpful, more accurate from the Bible is that he remembers our sin no more. Rather than he forgets our sin, more accurate, he remembers our sin no more. You could look at Psalm 25 verse 5. We looked at Psalm verse 6 and 7, Psalm 25 verse 5, remember not the sins of my youth, or Hebrews 8 verse 12, which you can write down or come with me to briefly, either is a good option, Hebrews 8 actually follows the alphabetical order of those T's, no it doesn't, ignore that, because there's Philemon, that's a book of the Bible. Just making sure you're awake. No, I'm not. Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now, this is a big, big topic. Arguably too much for day five of MYC. But it's sensitive. We're not going to cover it in an exhaustive way. But it's necessary because of what's in view. Remember what's in view in the Romans 12 rearview mirror of God's mercy. That's closer than it appears. God's mercy to us. And so we turn to our last parable for the week. Pretty sure it's the last one for the week. Matthew 18. It's not in Luke, but Matthew 18, flick, 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 flick. Verse 21. 
the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's expanding, if you like, on that teaching in Luke 17 on forgiveness. Peter, the disciple, asks Jesus. Peter came up to him, Luke 18, verse 21, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. And I will, reap, I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, same word as compassion, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should, you, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. What's the problem? Discuss with one another for a minute or so. I, don't, I think this is adequate for Friday morning discussion. It's not rocket surgery. All right, let's bring it back and bring it home. What's the problem? Nailed it, Colt. Lack of forgiveness, fist pump. Verse 33. He was forgiven 20 years' worth and he wouldn't forgive a day's worth. A ratio of 6,000 to 1, what he was forgiven to what he refused to forgive. The result? Cancelled. His forgiveness from the master, cancelled, unforgiven, debt still owed. And not hastily or flippantly like cancel culture, but justly. Jesus' warning is strong. Hear the warning. See the importance of beholding God's mercy to you, to me. Some of our churches, the church I attend is an Anglican church, and sometimes we pray a prayer of confession together, confessing together to God. And it's an excellent moment for us as the gathered people of God to remember God's mercy. Don't forget the forgiveness to you that's unforgettable. See, 
There's one final attitude I want to show you, and it's there in Matthew 18, verses 26 and 27. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Pity, or as it is translated elsewhere, compassion. Hmm. Where else have we heard that? The Samaritan, Luke 10, verse 33. I'm going to go there. You might like to go there too, just to see again and test everything. Luke 10, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, that naked, beaten man, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Luke 15, Luke 15, verse 20, the father, what was his response to the reverse mortgage of debt and spent wasteful, wild, reckless living of that wicked son? Chapter 15, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. Three men see another in need and feel compassion. And it's the same as Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he sees the crowd. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Could that be you? in a full-time paid capacity, not because of pride, but because of the desperate need of a dark world, sheep without a shepherd upon whom Jesus, the chief shepherd, felt compassion. 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 In the case of God the Father, it's who he is in Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God. I put to you that compassion precedes forgiveness. You want to obey God and forgive, as he said? Put on compassion. Colossians 3 verse 12. Colossians 3 verse 12. Flickety flick, flick, flick. The last one. It's the last one. So let's go there. Colossians 3 verse 12. How are you going to clothe yourself when you leave MYC? Your Jesus Weeks hoodie, yeah. Of course you are. Colossians 3 verse 12, yeah. Put on then. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and, if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Put it on. Oh, it's not my gift. I'm not a very compassionate kind of person. Rubbish. If you're a Christian brother or sister dearly loved in Christ, 
showered with the riches of God's mercy because of the compassion of the Father sending the Son, who is compassionate. Put on compassion, mercy, and forgive. As part of that life, this is the flesh on the bones of self-giving love, self-sacrificing love that puts the other ahead, beholding God's mercy with eyes fixed on Christ and his return. We won't do it perfectly, but we're going to be showing grace towards one another. We asked at the, at the start, in a world of cancel culture, who wins? We've seen all week, it's a darkened world. Slaves to sin, without hope, without God in the world. Who wins? Last night, Christ, who's gone into the far country, has been crowned in heaven because his suffering of death tasted for us, Hebrews 2.9. He rules now. He'll never let his children go. So we keep going in God's mercy to us with that in view. Drive well, keep good things in view, your mirrors, but with God's mercy in view. As we listen to him, as we trust him, as we obey him, as we love him and others deeply from the heart, as we show mercy and forgive with compassion, despite the wicked prospering now. We know the end. Jesus is coming and the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And until then, Christian churches, fellowships like this beautiful one will be oases of mercy. Yes, it's a plural for oasis in a world parched and dry and barren, cancelling each other, hurting each other, but in which we stand and shine oases of mercy and may others also find the mercy of God with us until Jesus' return. Talk one, God's spoken, will you listen? Talk two, the Father's mercy, will you trust? Talk three, born again, will you love? Talk four, Christ rules, will you obey? Talk five, in view of God's mercy, and forgiveness and compassion. Will you be merciful and forgive and show compassion? Let's pray. Our merciful God and Father, in view of your great mercy, help us to be merciful and to forgive one another and clothe ourselves with compassion. For Jesus' glory, for his day, and in his name. Amen.